last week as we were, I was at the end of the sermon. I usually plan sermons out about three or four months in advance. I know, kind of, I sit down and I pray and the Lord, I believe, leads me in certain directions. And so I begin to kind of work through just concepts in my mind. And, and uh, I, I had, uh, three or four weeks ago, had decided the direction we were going for the next couple of weeks before Thanksgiving gets here and had kind of begun to work through that. I'd um, kind of, in my mind, had some concepts and some ideas going, and God was putting those there. And towards the end of the sermon last week, as I was sharing some things from my heart, God just kind of changed that direction, even in my own mind. Even as I was in the midst of, of speaking, I knew that what I was going to do this week was not what I had planned to do. About that time, we, we finished the sermon, as God was kind of confirming that, uh, one of the things that's interesting to me is that God often speaks to me differently while I'm speaking to you. Now, I guess you would call that a multitasking thing. But God was kind of impressing some things, and so I gave the invitation, and uh, we, there were several people that, that came and prayed or came and talked to me. We had one that joined the church, but in the midst of that, we had one of our church members that has been here for a long time. This Mary Ray Randolph that came and, and just talked to me. Said she wanted to share some things with us as a church. And she began to share what she had been wanting to share with the church. It fit almost exactly with the direction God was leading me already in those early moments. So I've asked Miss Randolph if she would to come and she's going to share with you this morning just some things that are happening. Uh, she came and talked to me in the middle of the week and just confirmed what God was saying to her, confirmed what, what the Lord was laying on her heart, and uh, it works right along with what we're going to talk about this morning. So I've asked her to come. You know, in 1903, God started a little Good Little Baptist Church right up on the hill up here under a tree. And it took him 105 years to get here today. 105 years. Last Sunday, as Brother Lyle spoke, I thought of the things that God has blessed us with. That's a list, so I'm, I'm not going to spend time explaining too many of them. Today we have a beautiful church. Remember, we started under a tree. We have an active family life center. When we first came here, we didn't have one. We have a brand new bus. We've had a lot of buses. And we have a new pavilion. We've never had a pavilion before. I challenge you all to read it. Summer's over now, but next year use that. It's so nice. And something we've never had is a building fund waiting for us to fill it with people. A building fund is to build a church to fill with people. And you think that's all? Oh, no. We have ministers, paid ministers. But they have something that all of us need to have, and that is they love God, they serve God in their particular way. And we are very fortunate. We have gifted musicians. They can do anything. Give them a hand. That's fine. That choir, and we have a band, 
And that song this morning, I had no more idea they were going to sing it. And it goes along with exactly what I want you to hear from me. Okay, I'm not through. <laughs> we have dedicated teachers and deacons. And that's not all. We do home missions, foreign missions, and G-Fuge. You know what they are? That's for people we support that are not here in our congregation. And that's not all. We have room in the inn. We have a wonderful prison ministry. Meals on wheels have been going on. Is it 60 years about? <laughs> not quite, but a long time. We have a Kentucky mission, and we have youth missions, and even our Sunday school classes have their own missions that they're taking care of people here in this world. What do you think about us? Are we not rich? We've got things money can't buy. We've got things money can buy. Who furnishes all of these? I'm reminded of the rich young ruler. He was rich, he was young, and what was his other? The ruler. He was a ruler. He had everything. And on top of that, he told Jesus, I keep all the commandments. Boy, you can't get better than that. Jesus said, looked at him, and I'm sure he had sadness in his eyes. You lack one thing. You must sell your property, your possessions, and come follow me. Would Jesus ask us to sell our possessions and come follow me, follow him? This morning, I think we have done exactly what I think we should do. We believe in God the Father. We believe in God the Son. We trust God the Father, and we trust God the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. Do we trust him? Do we put it on a shelf? Yes, I believe it's the Holy Spirit, but I'm not going to fool with the Holy Spirit. God will take care of me. How does God take care of us? Through the Holy Spirit. And this morning, for the first time in a long, long time, I have felt everything in this service, and I didn't plan to say that either. He's working okay. on me. <laughs> I felt this morning exactly, and if I start crying, it's all right. And if you want to shed a tear of happiness, you do. I felt the Holy Spirit for some reason this morning. What everybody said up here and did took away a lot of what I've got on this piece of paper. I want us as a church, as human beings here on earth, to take the Holy Spirit into our lives. It did mine this year. I've learned to take the Holy Spirit off the shelf and put him up here and let him be my guide, my encourager, my uh, well, he's there when you have troubles. He will open doors for you to let you do your work. 
I know that experienced that this whole year. I have had to work with the Veterans Administration getting things together. Do you know what that is? And I didn't know one form thing about it. But he's opened doors when I've said, Lord, I don't have any, I, I can't do anymore, I don't know anymore. And a door would be opened. That was the Holy Spirit. Let's give the Holy Spirit its place in our church. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit makes it whole. That is my prayer. This morning, will you, as you hear the message, and I think God is working in here with us this morning, will you rededicate your life? You've already done that to God. You've done it to Jesus. Dedicate it to the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Oh, I want to read. I don't want to end on a sad note. Uh, in, <clears throat> in Matthew 12, Jesus had healed a blind man. And they accused him of being Beelzebub. That he could, because he was of Satan, he could do, take, uh, what, let me find the word, that he could, uh, demon, bring, uh, let me read it to you. When the Pharisee heard this, Jesus healed, he healed the blind. That's what he did. And the Pharisee said, Jesus uses the power of the Beelzebub, the rule of demons, to force demons out of people. And Jesus turned around and said, no. Up here he told them, if I use the power of God to force out demons, then the kingdom of heaven has come to you. See what God, we could, if Jesus had to do that while we were here on earth, who are we? You know we need the Holy Spirit. So I tell you, and this is what I want to end with, people can be forgiven for every sin and everything they say against God. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be, be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven now or in the future. We felt the Holy Spirit this morning. Let's turn our lives and our church over to him. Thank you. After last Sunday, I went to the Tennessee Baptist Convention. I mentioned that in the sermon and uh, on Tuesday night, uh, Tom McCoy, a president who's pastor at Thompson Station Baptist Church in Franklin, began to talk about some, some things that we're going to talk about because it really convicted my heart about the, the lack of power and the lack of the Spirit's guidance in churches today. And if, if that wasn't enough, if, if what happened on Sunday morning and Mary Gray talking to me and her description of what was happening of what God was telling her to kind of share with the church. And hearing Tom McCoy on, on Tuesday night, I, I found inspiration in God speaking to me through an unlikely place. There's a sports news magazine that comes on ESPN, and I turned it on, and it was a story of Dwayne Wade's mother, who about five years ago was a heroin addict. Now, Dwayne Wade, for you, those of you that don't know, was integral in the United States winning gold this summer as one of the best NBA basketball players that you can find one of the greatest basketball players on the planet. 
And his mom was on there about her heroin addiction, and they asked how she got out of heroin addiction. And she read a verse that said, they have a form of godliness, but they do not have the power. And she said that God spoke to me in that moment and said, you are doing things that you know are wrong. But you've in the past gone to church, you've proclaimed that you know me, but right now you have the form of godliness without the power. And as I was sitting there watching that, expecting just to kind of veg out for a minute, God spoke directly to my heart. And he simply said, the problem with the church in America today is they have the form of godliness without the power. And as I was thinking through what Tom McCoy shared, and I'll be honest, that the, the passage of Scripture we're going to read today was, was the passage that he read. And God just kind of impressed it on my heart to share some truths out of this passage. I, I kept going back to the idea that without the Spirit's leading in our lives, without the Spirit running through us as a church and as individuals, then we are experiencing a power failure. And I thought about Acts 1.8 where... Jesus is getting ready to leave, and he says, I want you to go, and I want you to wait in Jerusalem. And there you will receive power. And I began to read through the book of Acts. I'm in the midst of, of writing and researching a paper for my schoolwork that's, that's due in a couple of weeks. And, and, and I'm reading through the book of Acts, and everywhere you turn, it talks about the apostles speaking with power. It talks about the apostles healing with Power. It talks about the apostles doing things with power. And everywhere you turn, that power that came in the form of the Holy Spirit is living itself out through the apostles. I don't know if you saw this week or not, but I mentioned last week the Country Music Awards were in town. and It was on Wednesday. Biggest day for downtown merchants of the year. They make more money on that day than any other day of the year. And anybody see what happened in downtown Nashville on Wednesday? They had a power failure, right? The power went out. And all of these shops that were ready to sell couldn't do anything. Well, I did see one woman that saw some streetlights on and hooked up her cash register to it. But most of them lost all kinds of money. And as I sat there and thought about it, that on this most important day of the year, the biggest selling day of the year, these merchants had planned for for weeks or months or even from the previous year, that all their plans were put aside because they didn't have power. And God just kind of spoke to me and said that this is the most vital day in the life of the church in America. And if the church in America, if the church here in Goodlesville, if our church is going to impact the culture in which we live, then we are going to have to live with the power that only comes from God. Now, I want to tell you that one of the ways that I know that we're not living in the power of God is because we're putting our trust in all kinds of things. In the wake of the election and everything that is happening as a country, it's, it's interesting to see what we're putting our trust in. Some of us have put the trust in the Dow Jones Industrial Average and have been gravely disappointed. Some of us have put our trust in a particular political party or in a political candidate. 
Some of us have put our trust in organizations to bail us out or to get us out of our mess. And in the reality, we're putting our trust in everything except the living God, His Spirit living within us. And what God has called us to do is to live a life that glorifies Him. I came away this week as God just kind of convicted and moved me through different places and phases and messages I just came down to this last thing that I just don't want to settle for status quo. I don't want to be satisfied with okay. And my fear is that we have a whole lot of Christians in America, we have people in this church that are okay being an average Christian. Somebody wrote this, that an average Christian believes the Bible is God's Word and it owns at least one but doesn't read it daily or allow it to affect their life. An average Christian believes he or she should go to church, even baptized, but isn't seriously committed to its mission and its ministry. An average Christian believes in the power of prayer, but only prays when those 911 situations arise. An average Christian believes in heaven as an eternal reward, but never tells anyone how to get there. An average Christian believes Christians should make a difference in the world, but is hidden in plain sight at work, at school, or in the world. An average Christian believes he or she is being transformed into the image of Christ, but has become the enemy of vibrant Christianity. Somebody says, so what's the problem with an average Christian? The same guy that wrote that wrote this, if you're going to have surgery, you don't want an average surgeon. If you're being sued, you don't want an average attorney. If the IRS knocks at your door, you don't want an average CPA. Amen? If you're in a storm and you're on a plane, you don't want a guy that barely made it flying the plane. And if you're hiring a brand new football coach up on the hill, you don't want somebody that's going to go after just some okay players. And if we're going to impact our world, we can't be average Christians. And so what we have to ask ourselves is, okay, what is it? What's the key? And the key is tapping into that power source. The key is allowing the Spirit to move through us. But what we have to understand is that there are real barriers in our lives. And there are some barriers that God will not work through. Now, I I say this. God can work any way He wants to work. God can knock down barriers every time if He wants to. And there are times that God will shatter your world in order to get you to remove the barriers. But there are often times in churches and individual lives when God will just allow the barriers to stay put. If you want to keep God at a distance, if you want to keep the power at a distance, then He'll let you have your way. And so this morning we're going to look at three barriers to powerful, impactful living. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 29. And we're not going to cover all of Isaiah 29 and 30. Some of you looked at that this morning. You're already concerned. We're not going to look at it all. But we are going to look at selected verses within here. And as many of you know, Isaiah was a prophet. He's one of my favorite prophets. My call to ministry was tied in a very uh, immediate way to Isaiah chapter 6. And so I have a personal um, love of this prophet. I love the fact that Isaiah was a guy that, that served with kings and didn't cow down to what they wanted to do, but spoke boldly about what God 
was about to do. And Isaiah, in chapter 29, verse 13, gives us the first clue of a barrier to God working in a church. And the first thing is that a power failure in churches or lives results from passionless worship. It results from passionless worship. Look at verse 13. The Lord says, and he's just telling them why he's going to judge them, what's going to happen to them. He says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up of only rules taught by men. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people. Now, I just want to tell you real quickly, that does not mean that they're going to go, ooh, that's great. With wonder upon wonder, the wisdom of the wise will perish, the intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. We'll talk about that a little bit more in just a second. But the idea here is God says the first barrier to me working in your life, to me working in your church, is passionless worship. Now, let me just say, I talked a little bit about enthusiasm at the end of the last sermon. Actually, I talked a lot about enthusiasm. And let me just say that I am not for enthusiasm for enthusiasm's sake. I'm not for, let's just all get revved up, just to all get revved up. All right? But I think Scripture teaches that there must be a connection between the words that we are singing, the words that we are saying, the words that we are proclaiming, and the meditations and the thought of our hearts. There has to be a connection between what we're doing and what we're meaning. Have you ever heard a song that you've heard year after year or time after time, and for some reason, this particular moment, the song just pops and means something different to you. You ever done that? Maybe perhaps this morning, even with Breathe On Me, that song being sung in that way that talented Lars family sang in the choir behind. Maybe that song just took on new meaning. You, you know those when, when words that you never noticed before suddenly have a new connection. One of my favorite guys in the world is a guy named Bud Lee. Now, Bud Lee is an African-American singing evangelist. Bud Lee's daughter, Stephanie, sang in our wedding. And Bud is, travels the country singing. And I will never forget Bud Lee singing songs that I have heard time and time and time again. But the way he sang them changed how I viewed them. And when I asked myself the question, why did Bud Lee singing his eyes on the sparrow impact me differently? Or why did Bud Lee singing it is well with my soul impact me differently? The thing that I come back to is because I know, I can see that what he's singing, he means. Some of you got a little nervous last week when I talked about enthusiasm so much. You were worried that this week there might be an interpretive dance team and I don't know, maybe snakes. I don't know. The truth is that my desire for worship and my desire for what you're doing in your life is just that what matches or that, that the inside of what you believe matches the outward expression of what you're saying. Power failure results from passionless worship. I actually dug up a sermon I 
preached almost a year ago, and it was on John chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. And we talked about in that time being passionately devoted to worship, and we spent a whole sermon on that. And you know that passage of Scripture there that's talking to the woman at the well. And he says, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, as I look at that passage of Scripture, there are a couple of things that, that kind of um, stand out to me. And one of these is the only time in Scripture we see God seeking anything is when God is seeking worshipers. The only time in the entire Bible when we see God seeking anything is when we see God seeking worshipers. Now, let me just ask you this question, and this is one of those rhetorical questions for you to think about. Do you think that God is seeking worshipers with all that He has so that we can give back to Him a passionless response of praise? God is seeking us because He has paid the price. He has given us His love. He has given us everything He can. And what He expects from us is to live a life and to glorify Him with worship. Now, you understand that when I talk about worship here, passionless worship, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning at 1020. I'm talking about the way you live your life. I'm talking about the way you honor Him. I'm talking about the praise you give daily. Whenever there's a power failure, part of what you have to figure out is why it's there. And part of the reason we have power failure is because of a passionless worship. And there are four reasons this morning I want to talk about that worship can become passionless. First of all, it can become passionless when you live your life with unconfessed sin. Scripture is very clear on the fact that when we live our lives with sin that is unconfessed, then our power will not be in our lives. That worship will not be the same. You can't have a life that is filled with things that is contrary to God's Word, that is averse to God's character, and expect to come in and to praise Him for who He is. Throughout the Old Testament, God talks about the fact that He rejects the worship of His people because they're not doing what God's called them to do. In Isaiah, a little bit later, Isaiah 58, he tells them that they come to the temple every day, they do the sacrifices like they ought to, they, they take care of all the things that are supposed to happen, they're following the law exactly, and then he says, but your worship I reject, because you're not taking care of the widows, and you're not feeding the hungry, and you're not doing the very basic things that I've called you to do in love and mercy. Sometimes I wish that I could almost get a weekly report from God. Maybe it'd be an email, maybe it'd be a letter. I don't know what God uses these days. And it would just simply say, either I accept or I reject the worship that happened on Sunday. The reality is sometimes I think that I would like that, but most of the time I think I know the answer. Part of that reason is because of unconfessed sin and the lives of people that are there to sing and to worship God. Another thing that can be a a deterrent, a passion in worship is unresolved conflict. We've talked about this before, but if there's conflict in your life, if there are things in your life that are not, if people have, have uh, problems with you or you have problems with people and there's conflict in any way between a relationship in your heart and your life, then it hinders your worship. 
A third thing is human traditions. Did you notice in chapter 29, verse 13, their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. What he says is their worship doesn't have any passion. All it counts is all that's happening is they're just worshiping me little bit by little bit after what they've been prescribed to worship. I grew up in a time, and most of you did as well, when all you had to do was plug in different numbers and titles on the order of service every week. You know what I mean by that? Order of service looked exactly the